Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today our study is going to be in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to see the call of God that came on the life of Moses. When we pick up in Moses' life with chapter 3, we see that Moses is a broken man. We see him on the backside of the desert, tending to his father-in-law's flocks. He was obscured. He was unimportant. He was very broken. But the point of today's message is that sometimes God positions us on the backside of the desert so that he can reveal himself, so that he might reveal his glory to us, his presence to us, his call on our lives. So today, if you're in a difficult place in life, if you're in a place where you feel broken, where you feel unused by God, perhaps you feel that God will never be able to use your life again. Well, take courage, my friend, take heart, because today we're going to see out of the Word of God how the great calling of God, the fire of God, came to the life of Moses. I hope you enjoy today's edition of Awaken to Grace. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and I want to entitle today, Standing on Holy Ground. We're going to look at the call of Moses. We're going to see how Moses was a broken man when God revealed himself. Moses was a man filled with mistakes and missteps. Moses lived his life in obscurity. Moses lived his life with regret. And we're going to see how God came to Moses In the burning, fiery flame of a bush. And I can't wait to share today with you. If you look at verse number one, there are going to be several things I'm going to have you write down if you're taking notes. Number one, I want you to look at Exodus chapter three, verse one. And I want us to notice the solitude that Moses found himself in. It says, now Moses was keeping his father-in-law's flocks. Jethro, his father-in-law, now this isn't Jethro with the Beverly Hillbillies, with a rope belt. This is the Jethro of the Bible, okay? This is the father-in-law of Moses. And Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, who was a priest in Midian. And notice what it says, and Moses led his flock to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, there's a little bit to unfold right here, and let's unpack a couple of things. You have to understand a little bit about Moses' background, and let me just give uh, uh, just a a moment or two, just a crash course on the life of Moses. Many of you will recall when Moses was born, baby boys were being killed, and do you remember what his mother did by faith? She took her son, put him in a woven basket, and set him in the Nile River and released him into the providence of God. What faith that took. On my many trips to Cairo, Egypt, I've spent a great deal of time on the Nile River. And I love the Nile River. 
One of my favorite things to do on the Nile is they have these certain boats that have these booths in them. And they will fish off of these large boats and catch these fish. And they have these little charcoal grills at your booth. And they'll bring this whole fish and they'll grill it right there in front of you on that charcoal grill. And it's as tasty as it can possibly be. And they have taken me to the place where tradition says that Moses' mother released him into the Nile. And let me tell you, when you see it for yourself, what faith it took. My friends, the Nile River is not the Holston River. The faith it took. And as you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Adopts him. He becomes the adopted grandson of the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt. And for the first 40 years of his life, he grows up among the palaces of Egypt. He grows up around the throne of Pharaoh. He grows up in the lap of luxury. But according to the book of Hebrews, there came a point that Moses knew his history, he knew his family background, and he watched his people, the Hebrew people, he watched them being slaves. He watched the taskmasters, and righteous anger came into the soul of Moses. And one day, the Bible says, rather than choosing the pleasures of Egypt, he chose to suffer with God's people. And one day, While a Hebrew was being beaten by a taskmaster, Moses attacks the Egyptian and kills him. And then Moses flees for his life. And this is where you and I pick up. He spent 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. And now at 40 years old, Moses finds himself a murderer. And can never go back to Egypt again. And never go back to the house of Pharaoh again. No doubt there were people looking for Moses. You don't think Moses, you don't think he was a popular figure? No doubt people were looking for him. The Egyptians were looking for him. And now when you and I pick up, he is now at this point in chapter 3 verse 1, he's approximately 80 years old. He spent 40 years in the the house of Pharaoh. Now he has spent 40 years in obscurity. 40 years running for his life. 40 years looking over his shoulder. 40 years trying to get away. And what the Bible tells us, it's actually quite fascinating in verse 1. That Pharaoh goes not just into the desert, but the the ESV says that he went to the west side of the desert. The actual old King James says it was the backside of the desert. Now, all of us have had desert-like experiences, right? Perhaps today, you feel as though you're in a desert. You feel like you're completely and utterly alone today. Maybe you feel like God is a thousand miles away. Perhaps you pray and nothing happens. You trust God and nothing changes. You read the Bible and nothing, every, just everything stays the same. And it just feels as though God is working around everyone and everything and through everyone and through everything. But when it comes to you... Nothing happens. Let me tell you, Christian, every one of us go through desert experiences. Every one of us walk through seasons of loneliness. Every one of us goes through dry seasons. Every one of us goes through times that test our faith. 
But let me show you what's different about Moses today. It's one thing to be in the desert. It's a whole other thing to be on the backside of a desert. Anyone ever been on the backside of the desert? Here's what I want you to note. If you're going to take notes, note this. God often does his greatest work through times of solitude. God often does his greatest work in times of solitude. And here's what I want to show you out of verse 1. I was sitting there, actually this morning at 6 a.m., I was sitting in my recliner just picturing Moses, picturing him taking those flocks, those, I don't know, maybe it was 50 sheep, and maybe it was 100, I don't know. But I picture Moses, and, and, and notice what Scripture says. It's very telling. It says, as, and, and Moses led his flock to the backside of the desert. And I begin to think about what days must have been like for Moses. Here he is, 80 years old. He's an absolute failure in life. He's broken, obscured, working for his father-in-law, trying to keep a low profile. Doesn't want anybody to find him. Doesn't want anyone to know who he is or what he's been in life. He's went from the lap of luxury to now the lowliest position in all of the Middle East. And that's a shepherd. He's went from the pinnacle down to the lowest. And what was it like on a daily journey through these 40 years that now Moses is 80 years old and he's been hiding for 40 years and now just the mundane of life. And what is he doing? He's leading his sheep. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me this morning about 6 a.m. And God began to show me just as Moses, God was allowing him to do the mundane, the routine. All he was doing was leading the flock. But little did Moses know that God was raising him up. Little did Moses know that God was positioning him in the backside of the desert. That now Moses would lead a small flock, but later Moses is going to lead over one million of God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. And could it be with your life? Could it be in your circumstance right now? That Satan may be telling you you're all alone. Satan may be telling you you're isolated. Satan may be telling you that your life is nothing but mundane. Your life is nothing but routine. You have nothing to offer. You're broken. You're useless. But could it be that God is positioning you? Could it be that God's had you on the backside of this desert for such a time as this? That God's going to reveal his call on your life. God's going to bring fresh fire into your soul. God's going to reveal to you himself in such a way that your life will never be the same. No, my friend, let me tell you, God's in the mundane. God is in the routine. God is in what you're going through right now. Don't let Satan tell you that you're alone. Don't let him tell you that you're isolated. Don't let him tell you that God's abandoned you. It's okay to be alone sometimes, you know that? It's not the worst thing. As a matter of fact, it's times that God will use you. As you know, I'm walking through this blindness. This Sunday, this Sunday is two years since I drove a car. I drove my car to church on this Sunday two years ago. And never drove again. Again, I'm willing if anyone will let me drive it. I mean, I'll, I'll do it. 
If you have the faith, I've, I've got the faith, we'll do it. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, sometimes, I'll tell you, it's the craziest thing. You, you know, they say that when you lose one sense, all of your other senses heighten. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, friends, it's true. You know, I can hear. It's scary how I can hear. I can hear everything and anything. It's amazing. Uh, last night, Sadie and I went to La Coretta, and I ordered one of those fajitas. Have you ever had one of those? Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. And I ordered one of those fajitas. You know, they sizzle. Before Sadie could hear it, smell it, or see it, I could hear it sizzling. I said, food's here. <laughs> minute later, here it comes. <laughs> well, I can hear like no one's business. And you know, there's some days, there's sometimes I'll be sitting in a room full of people and I can hear everything. I can hear three conversations happening all around me. And I'll hear multiple people talking. And I'll hear conversations, but I'll feel like I'm the only one in the room. It'll feel completely alone. But let me tell you what I'm learning. There's a difference between loneliness and being alone. God works in solitude. Do not despise the times of solitude in your life. You know, it's interesting in Psalms 46.10. The Bible says, this is very interesting. It says, be still and know that I am God. When are the times that you know? I'm not talking about an intellectual, oh yes, I know God's everywhere. Oh yes, I know God's everywhere. No, I'm talking in your soul. You know that the help of God is in your life. When are those times? Not in the rat race of life. Not in the busyness. God doesn't say, in all the busyness, know that I'm God. He doesn't say that, does he? In all the responsibilities, know that I'm God. No. What's he say? Be still and know that I'm God. And could it be, my friend, that if you find yourself today on the backside of a desert, could it be that the true work that God is trying to do is to still your soul, to quiet your life, quiet your heart, to quiet your mind? Could it be that God is wanting to do a great work in you, but the work is through solitude? You read Mark chapter 1. Do you know what Jesus does? Read it. Mark chapter 1. Jesus steals away into solitude. Why does he do that? Because those are the times that God works the greatest in our life. So here Moses is. He's approximately 80 years old. He's been a failure in life. He grew up in the palace of Pharaoh and he had all the advantage that anybody could ever want. And now, instead of being successful, now, instead of being ahead in life, now, instead of being somebody important or even responsible, no, he's a murderer. And he's living on the backside of a desert, hiding from everyone and everything. Oh, but how many of you know, God has a way of finding us, even when we hide. <laughs> Amen? 
Perhaps you're listening today, you're watching online, or you're here in the building, and you've been hiding from God for a long time. Friends, God knows exactly where you are. And I want you to look, verse number two. This is so wonderful. Verse number two. And the angel of the Lord appeared as a flame in the fire in the bush. Isn't that fantastic? Friends, the fire of God always represents the presence of God. I want you to note, if you'll note this, Moses was able to recognize the presence of God in his life. Now, how did Moses recognize it? Well, notice what happens next. Verse number 3, Moses sees it and gives his attention to it. Now, could you imagine seeing a bush caught on fire, but yet it didn't consume. I remember some time ago I was reading an article by some uh, crazy person. He was, he was an atheist and trying to explain the Bible away. Let me tell you, it takes more faith and it takes more energy to try to explain the Bible away than to just accept it by faith. And this joker was trying to say that that bush was on a natural gas line and the, and, and the natural gas exploded. and caught. What an idiot. And so here Moses sees this incredible sight, this flaming fire, but yet the bush is not consumed. And what Moses does is he turns and he gives his attention to it. Let me tell you something, my friends. When the presence of God becomes important to you, when the presence of God becomes real to you, do you know what happens? You go from the mundane of life. You go from the routine of life, from the backside of the desert of life to an intensity with God. God gets your attention. God has your attention like never before. And let me tell you what we need, what we need, what we need in this hour of our country now. We need a church that is aflame. It is a church ablaze that will get the attention of a lost and a dying world. It's not our music. It's not our outreaches. It's not our programs. It's fire. Amen? And that's what God desires to do among his people. It's what God wants to do personally in your life, in your heart, in your family. It's a church of flame that God uses. And so here Moses recognizes the presence of God. And what does he do? He gives his full attention to it. My friend, does God have your full attention today? Or are you distracted with all of these other things? Are you distracted with what, what there is to do in life? And yet, here God is just on the back burner. Here God is compartmentalized in this little box called Sunday. Or is the presence of God so real in your life that it's as fire in your soul? As I've said throughout this entire series, fire is not an emotion. It is not sensationalism. No Fire, fire is an experience with God that burns out sin. Fire is an experience with God that brings an intensity, a reality of His presence into your life and into your family and into your home and into your walk with the Lord. 
That's what fire does for us. And Moses, just as the fire drew Moses, fire draws people. Fire draws people. Amen? I remember some years, boy, this was a few years ago when I was seeking the Lord. I was asking the Lord fervently, praying fervently, seeking God. Lord, set me on fire. Bring fire to my soul. Put fire in my tongue. God, when I preach, let it be scorching with fire, God. And I was seeking God. I didn't say anything about it to the pulpit. Nobody knew this. I was just seeking God for weeks and weeks and weeks. I would just seek God. Every time uh, as the music was playing, before I'd preach, I'd be saying, God, put fire in my tongue, God. Put fire in me, Lord. Give me your fire. And one day, how many of you know God uses crazy people? Sometimes you got to be a little crazy for God to use you sometimes. And one day, uh, I'll never forget it. This was about three or maybe four years ago. We were doing a special event here. It was Saturday morning, and there were lots of guests here, people I'd never met. And some people were up here leading worship. We had been up here at the front praying, and, and I was standing right over here between the chairs and the platform. And this woman I'd never seen before, she walks up to me in this prayer time. She walks up to me and she goes, and sniffs me. I thought, what in the world? Sniffs me. Who does that? God's got some crazy people. (laughs) But you know what she said to me? I didn't know her. I'd never met her. She said, you smell like fire. And turns around and walks away. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking how stunned I was after I got over my shock. Of somebody, you know, made me want to sniff myself. <laughs> oh, what deodorant am I using? Holy Spirit. <laughs> it wasn't Old Spice, I tell you that. But, but after being shocked, it was, listen, what a sweet confirmation from the Lord. Listen, are you able to recognize God's presence in your life? Let me tell you how you recognize it. You give your full attention to it. It becomes what you seek after. It begins, it becomes what you long for. But see, many of us can't do it because we're in the rat race of life. If we would be still, Psalm 46.10, if we would calm ourselves, quiet our lives, and seek the Lord, friends, we would find a fire in our soul that God ignites that nothing will ever quench. One of the reasons why we do this type of ministry where we try to reach far beyond not just the walls of our church, but we try to reach far beyond even our region, is because we want to reach people in a personal way. And so if you have been listening to some of these sermons and you find that they are impacting your life or they're helping you grow or they're challenging you to think in a different way, well, you know what? We would love to hear from you. 
because when people contact us, as they often do, from different parts of the United States as well as different parts of the world, when people contact us and share with us how to pray for them, how to encourage them, well, you know what? That just means the world to us. And we would really love to stand with you in prayer. We would really love to know who you are and where you're listening from. So I hope you'll look us up, contact us, and let us know who you are and where you're from.